The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was many furlongs distant from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately he spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, have no fear. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, bid me come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, O man of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. So we had this uh, gospel scene recently during uh, the week um, where we were looking at certain aspects. So just to recall some of those details, which I think are also then helpful for a kind of deeper insight into the, into the scene. So what we know is that this is immediately after the multiplication of the loaves where the Lord has fed the people in this miraculous and very powerful way, in a way that prefigures uh, the Eucharistic banquet but the mystery of the Eucharist, which will be his presence in the midst of his people. And what happens then, as the church fathers say, is after this prefiguration of the Eucharist, the Lord allows, as St. Thomas says, he develops from the church fathers, the Lord allows a period of time where the disciples might experience his absence. So he is absent from them. And in this absence, they are thrown into turmoil, quite literally. And so it is a lesson to the church that Christ himself in terms of his presence, especially this Eucharistic presence, that is the center of the life of the church. The church is centered around Christ and the Blessed Sacrament. He is the source and the summit of our faith. And so the presence of Christ is that stabilizing principle for God's church, for the church that he has established. And so what happens is the disciples get in the boat and they, he sends them out before him to the other side. And again, another patristic insight is that these journeys that the disciples make in the boat are always representative of a few things. One is uh, simply life, life, turmoil, trial. It is a journey to a destination, a destination which is, in a certain sense, the other side, right? That for which we are created, which is a life with God. 
It also represents, especially when there is this type of upheaval on the journey, suffering and sin and the effects of sin. And so they are then exposed in a certain sense to this, and they are allowed to experience for a period of time the absence of the Savior, the absence of Christ himself. And so after he's dismissed his crowd, after he's dismissed the crowds and the Lord has gone up into the hills by himself to pray, we can see that as God, he is still fully aware of what is happening to his disciples. He knows exactly what is happening to them. He knows that they're in the midst of the storm, but it is not yet that he goes to them. He delays for a while. In the same way that he delays when he is called by Martha and Mary to come when Lazarus is sick. He knows the trial, he knows the difficulty, but he delays. And so why does God delay? I think it's helpful then to consider that scene of Martha and Mary when we interpret God's delay, especially now. He knows the storm has begun. Why does he wait until the fourth watch of the night? Why does he allow them to suffer for an extended period of time? Is it from cruelty? Obviously not. And so there is a purpose to why the Lord delays. And one of the reasons is that when God delays, especially with a good thing, right, is that when it eventually comes, because we have desired it for a long time, we will cling to it. We will cling to it as soon as it is present again. And so it's the same principle with Christ as well. His absence now from his disciples, that is what they are longing for. They want him back. And so upon his return, there will be a deeper appreciation of his presence. And so what happens is after the Lord has dismissed the crowds, he's up on the hills by himself praying completely at peace. He is in that divine peace, right? In that peace that is uh, the divine nature. We see many things with regards to the divine nature, but one of the descriptions of heaven, which is, I think is also relevant to today's gospel, is that when the, some of the prophets and some of the revelation that comes regarding heaven, there is this throne that sits on a sea of glass, a sea of glass, not because the sea is made of glass, but because it is completely still and undisturbed, right? So it is this revelation of the divine nature, which is always at peace in itself and completely undisturbed completely undisturbed. And that is the peace that we hope to enter into for all eternity, but it is also then shared with us in this life because of the mystery of the incarnation, the God who has become flesh, the divinity of God which is now present in our midst. And so as we've said before, often in these storm events on the sea, what the Lord is inviting the disciples into is his own peace, right? So either he is asleep in the boat or he is simply walking on the water. He's complete. He's in these activities that have no rush to them, that have no frenzy to them, but are completely at peace. And so he, if he is sleeping or if he is walking on the water, he is manifesting his divine nature to them. In the life of Christ, we have images of his human nature, events that happen that convince us of his true human nature, right? He suffers. He endures. He goes hungry. He is, he, at certain times, he appears, he appears in the weakness of that human nature, especially at his passion and death. But at other times, there are flashes of his divinity and his power. And this is one of those moments when he now comes to his disciples in the fourth watch of the night in the darkness of their trial and difficulty, and he's simply walking on the water to them, completely at peace. And yet what happens is also what happens to us when we encounter what is truly divine, truly beyond our scope of imaginings, it is terrifying. 
in the same way that we see in the first reading for today when uh, Elijah is up in, the, uh, kind of in that kind of cleft of the rock and he is waiting for the presence of God. He knows, look, he's not in the wind, he's not in the earthquake, he's not in the fire. He hears a still small voice and all of a sudden now he covers his face. Now he is, there's a certain amount of holy fear because he knows the presence of God is there. And so also in the same way, the Lord comes to the disciples almost as this still small voice in the midst of the storm, completely at peace, and they are terrified. And so it is a right response in us to the divine nature, to a power that is so far beyond our comprehending. And when we encounter that in flashes, all of a sudden it can cause fear in our hearts. But the Lord immediately addresses this fear in his weak human friends, right? He says to them, do not be afraid or take heart, have courage. It is I, have no fear. The words in the Greek are very important. He says, have no fear, I am, I am. Again, a revelation of the divine nature. And so over all of these things which you are afraid of, the sea, the wind, I am. The disciples are subject to the storm, but the storm is subject to Christ. He walks upon the water. And so in beholding this vision, in beholding Christ himself, truly present again to his disciples in the flesh, you can see now Peter just wants to be with him. He can't even wait for the Lord to get to the boat. He wants to get to the Lord. In the same way that we see in John 21, when they see them, they realize that the Lord is on the shore. Peter also can't wait. He just simply jumps in and swims. And so he has this deep love for the presence of Jesus Christ. And now, after having experienced his absence, he just wants to be close to the Lord even more. And so in this desire to be close to Christ, he asks the Lord, call me out on the water to you. If you can do this, I know you can do this for me. Call me out on the water to you. And the Lord says, come. And now this is very profound in terms of, especially as we were saying uh, in the week, if we think back to Genesis and creation, where the Spirit of God hovered over the waters and then began all of the acts of creation. So also that same God now comes hovering over the waters as he will recreate the world through his church. And so what the Lord says to uh, Peter in the same way that he said, let there be light and there was light, he just simply says, come. And that power of his word is able then to accomplish in Peter what Peter desires. And so Peter steps out of the stability of the boat and he steps into the, st the stability of God's word. And that is the life of the Christian. The life of the Christian is to st step into and live in the stability of God's spoken word to us. And Peter steps into that and that carries him over the water. And then with his eyes fixed on Jesus, this sustains him. As soon as his eyes shift from Jesus, all of a sudden he's thrown into turmoil. Our walk of faith is that, a walk of faith in God's word. And so as soon as then he becomes unstable, he cries out, Lord, save me, turns back to the Lord. And the Lord's response is immediate. He reaches out and he catches him by the hand and he holds him in that power. And then what happens is he brings Peter back to peace. And we can see here the way in which the Lord desires to work through his church. 
Whenever he is in the boat, he is accomplishing the things that he will do through his church. At some times, he is preaching from the boat. At other times, he is working miracles through the disciples and when they are fishing, representing all the souls that will be healed and restored through the activity of the church or the preaching that will continue through the activity of the church. But here he shows how he will bring peace through his church. He does it first through Peter, and then when he steps with Peter into the boat, everything else is brought to peace showing how God and Christ himself will continue his work of restoration, salvation, healing, and peace through the church. Upon returning to the disciples on the morning or on the day of the resurrection in that evening, when he comes to them, the first words that he says to them are peace. And also now as he comes and returns into the boat with them and is in the boat with them, there is also this peace that then flows from this activity that is taking place in the boat. And what's happening in the boat? They are adoring Jesus. That's it. They're in adoration of Jesus. And so that is a lesson for the church. The church's highest activity is the adoration of Christ. It is when love is made manifest in a real act of love, when we adore the one who is deserving of our adoration. And we can see that that has an impact not only for the church, but also for everything that is outside of the church. There is an outflowing of peace and grace from this act of adoration that is taking place in the boat. And so also for this wonderful uh, encounter that we are able to have here because of the lives of the sisters, because of the commitment to adoration that they have here, we are able to participate in that activity. We are able to come into this activity of adoration of Christ and so draw from him that peace of the divine nature, not only for ourselves, not only for the church, but also for the world. Amen.